Hello, welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. And I am sitting here in La Cruz, Mexico, aboard Dovka, where we have been holed up for um, a couple weeks now, hanging out with other kid boats, getting some work done, enjoying the community here before we head on again. We have had a nice few months cruising so far. Things are going well. But this week on the show, we are hearkening back to the summer of last year when I had this boat hauled in Napa Valley Marina on the hard. And I met another gentleman who's had his boat on the hard, Michael Rode. And he invited me aboard his late 70s Cape George 36 Akela which he found in the Bay Area and is now in the process of rebuilding bow to stern, keel to masthead. He is just ripping the thing apart and rebuilding it. A really interesting rig on this boat, junk rigged, and he has jumped into this project with both feet and is making good progress. And Inspired by other YouTubers, he's actually documenting the entire refit on his channel. So if you listen to this interview and are really keen on seeing his progress and learning more, you can go to Road Soda. That's R-O-H-D-E-S-O-D-A and see his work. It's, it's beautifully filmed and um, it's very instructive as to what he's doing to refit this fabulous cruising boat and when he gets done with it he will be able to take it anywhere in the world cape george's um, fantastic hulls built up in port townsend so let's jump into the show i hope you enjoy my name's mike Rody. we're on my i should say my project boat and what is the project boat Tell it's us the a story, Cape but... George 36 with a junk rig. It's a junk rig schooner. Okay. So pretty unique. Uh, as far as I know, it's the only Cape George of that kind. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're sitting here. We can see the two keel step masts here, aluminum masts. And uh, no rig on her right now because she's on the hard. And you are putting in a lot of work on her. So tell us... You told me that you were about to buy a hull from Cape George when you stumbled across this boat. What's well, the story there? Yeah, so I was I was looking at boats, and I had actually recently decided I should put this look on hold. Maybe it's not the right time. Yeah. So then I started looking. You were just having a hard time finding what you wanted? Uh, just maybe not the right time in my life. Yeah. Uh, I forget the exact circumstances. But, yeah. Um, so I started looking farther ahead, and I was thinking maybe at some point I want to build a boat. Uh, what do I want? What do I want to do with it? I've always been really intrigued with the pilot cutter shape and a lot of the traditional stuff. So obviously Cape George's. Um, so I, I had reached out to them. This was like two weeks before I ended up finding this boat. I reached out to them and got a quote for a hull and a keel, and that was around $37,000. Where are they built? In Port Townsend, okay. Washington. Yeah, okay. a really cool little yard. It's like you go outside of town, you're driving through the trees, and all of a sudden there's a little cut, uh, and they're just you know, a bunch of Port Townsend-type people building so boats. Cool. And 
I have yet to make it up to Port Townsend, but uh, I want to get up there for the Wooden Boat Festival. It's, just, it's I'm amazing. Just, it's a fantastic yeah. place. Yeah, I've yeah. been there a few times. Um, it's a very cool culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you were gonna um, purchase a hull from them, and then what happened? Uh, so that was just out of curiosity, mostly, and a little bit of sticker shock on that. I wasn't expecting yeah. that high of a number, and obviously, yeah. I'm for a bare hull. Hull and a keel. Hull, yeah. keel, hull yeah. keel, beam shelf. Okay. No deck, no oh. other structure, uh, nothing in the bilge, just glass and lead. <laughs> um, so I just kind of cataloged that. And then, like I said, I had kind of put the boat search on hold. But I remember sitting on the couch with my dad, and I was just popping around on Craigslist and stumbled on this and was like, well, that's intriguing. Um, and then it kind of went to the junk rig thing. And I was, so I started thinking about that and looking into yeah. that and watching, reading, listening, trying to figure out if that interested me. And I kind of settled on the idea for this is to go travel and to, you know, possibly circumnavigate and do trade wind sailing. So yeah, that should be a lot of reaching and running. And um, it just, it very much intrigued me. And that's, you know, coming going forward, that's where I'm at now with it. I'm just very, very much looking forward to seeing what that's like. And yeah. I'm very open to the possibility that I may not love it, but um, I may love, not love the junk rig. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so you purchased this boat when? How long ago? Uh, so this was December of 2019. Okay. So three and a half ish. So right years before ago. the pandemic. Yeah. And then you put it on the hard here immediately, or was it? No, it was in uh, Point San Pablo Harbor in Richmond. Mm -hmm. Little, um, little funky marina there. Little funky marina. Yeah. You know, there are saunas right around the corner there now. There's a little, um, just up on the hill, actually, another sailor was telling me about this, that you can sail over there and go and these I portable no saunas. Idea. Yeah, it's a very cool little place. It's, it's an total the whole site. area is very, yeah. all the abandoned military style right and you buildings. can drive through the chevron area and it's just all it's hidden back there but it's, yeah. if, you, if people have i love it. a lot of those little hidden spots in the bay area yeah, yeah. no one really knows about yeah the first time i drove back there i was like whoa <laughs> what is this yeah, yeah. so that, that was the fact that it was there was a big uh, factor in me deciding to go for it okay um because all the pictures in the ad were either at a boatyard or anchor down Richardson Bay ah. and I did not I, I have some experience with that situation and I didn't want to yeah. deal with that didn't so. but right now it's a really fraught situation yeah um, so Point San Pablo and um, you brought her here when to Napa Valley brought Marina. her here last year August okay uh, I was able to line it up with a friend that was coming here to do some work on his boat nice um, the marina had actually done some minor damage to my boat moving it around so oh. i told them i'll excuse that if you can help me get out to my friend yeah out of your channel so i can uh, get out of dodge here because it was too shallow to get through or yeah they're not able to dredge and i i wonder if they ever will be it's mm. it's a tough marina situation but yeah so waited for high tide got a somewhat touch and go tow out linked up with my friend's boat and got, got me here, so that, here. yeah so that was a year you did ago. not have a working engine on the boat 
Correct. Yeah, yeah. engine was pulled uh, yeah. to be rebuilt at the time. Towed all the way up here. Yep. How long did that take? D- short day trip, daylight oh. hours. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. He's yeah. got a yeah. big 43-foot cutter, so oh. just plow on in. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It was this year, just a few months ago, July, that you started really digging in to this project. July 1st. July 1st. And um, people can watch that. And I just watched the very first video of you jumping in and doing work on YouTube. Tell tell people how they can find that. Uh, the channel is my last name, Rody. Okay. But it's kind of a play on words. It's mm-hmm. The channel name is pronounced Road Soda. So R-O-H-D-E period soda s-o-d-a okay um i started the channel actually shortly after buying the boat that was in like march of 2020 right when the pandemic hit right when all the lockdowns happened um i kind of got kicked loose from the work i was doing at the time and said i'm gonna go to west marine get epoxy go to tap get fiberglass go to home depot get materials (laughs) and i built a truck camper and kind of documented that very cool. And I, I just saw that parked outside your boat here. It's beautiful work. This was a different one. Oh, a different camper. Yeah. Okay. This was uh, just a camper shell on the back of a Got it. Tacoma. All right. As I said, I mean, that was good prep for this van that you've got out there, and the van's good prep for this. <laughs> All very applicable yeah. skills and practice, yeah. 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 A lot of fiberglass, a lot of – and also it, I would imagine, makes you – more willing to take on a project like this and less hesitant to just dive in and start ripping things apart because that's what i was impressed with with the first video i watched is i mean you're just going for it yeah uh i think it it's definitely partly just my nature yeah um to to dive in head first um but also it just goes back to a lot of the experience i have i suppose in boats and doing my own kind of custom projects and stuff, but I've also done a lot of carpentry mm. and like remodel type projects. So that stuff is similar. You have a plan and you just tear in and then you build back up. Let's talk about your experience a little bit. How did you first get into boats and boating? So my dad has always had a passion for boats and sailing. Uh, he did four years in the Navy. Uh, he was in Sea Scouts when he was a kid. Cool. Uh, he grew up in Redwood City on the bay so he'd ride his bike down the train tracks and just involve himself however he could with boats nice against his dad's advice (laughs) uh so we he always had a hobie 16 around growing up and we'd do a lot of camping that was my first boat that i ever bought myself they're great 16 it was fun i always tell people that want to get into sailing if if you're fit and agile he and i actually picked up two of them for 200 bucks each and put all the best parts together and we still have that so we always had that around but it never really grabbed me yeah until i was like 14 15 he and i went out one day up to the lake and he let me drive and that was like a aha moment for me i was at a point in my life where i was you know trying to figure out who i am what i'm about i was kind of moving on from my old passion of basketball and so it just immediately grabbed me, and wow. he did what we didn't have a lot of money, but he did what he could to kind of foster that. We got a Catalina 22. We learned how to race. We 
we'd trailer that down to Berkeley and we'd do the midwinters and oh, three bridge. And how awesome. Get into some chop and the swing keel would come up and slam down. <laughs> <laughs> Scare the shit out of I us. I bet. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um, you grew up, you, d- you said your dad grew up in Redwood City. Where were you growing up? I grew up in Placerville. Okay. Which is just down the hill on Highway 50 from Tahoe. And you mentioned a lake. What lake would you guys go up to? Union Valley. Union Valley. Okay. Which is a great little sailing lake. I don't know. It's kind of a horseshoe shape with a dam at the bottom of the horseshoe. Okay. And the wind just kind of funnels right over that. Oh. It's 10 to 15, maybe more, almost every day. Wow, that's good to know about. I'm and it's in the National Forest, one. so you can. I've taken the Hobie out and loaded up a dry bag, and you can just go find a beach, and <sighs> and it's actually legal. And it's just oh, dispersed cool. camping. Ah, that's yeah. awesome. So you had the Catalina, and you guys would, would would race a bit, and you just got more and more into it. Yeah, we. I think we kind of stumbled into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an affordable kind of cabin cruiser something yeah. that could tow behind the vehicle we had and then it turned out that they had a one design class locally ah. so we got into learning racing and one design racing around yeah. different lakes and then the bay area stuff we would do was all phrf that was really the beginning of like you know learning some rigging and we had to do a lot of work on the boat i mean my dad completely rebuilt that boat even the trailer my enthusiasm just grew and grew and yeah. you know got a sub- i think a family member got me a subscription to sailing world uh-huh. for a year or whatever and that's another memory i remember a, a picture of a mum 30 on a trailer with an article about whatever these people were doing and i just that image was just burned into my brain of like someday something performance like that it's interesting how it those images can grab you and then just stay with you forever. Yeah. And change the course <laughs> of of your life. Just totally. One image. And it, a lot of full circle. You know, I'm sure my dad has a lot of fond memories of that because he, I give him a lot of credit. He never pushed it on me. Yeah. It was just always there. And yeah. he always kind of shared his love for it. Mm. And I just kind of naturally came around to that. So. I, I definitely owe him my uh, foot in the door of the of this illness we all. <laughs> That's what I say. I say I call it a genetic disease because both my parents. I mean, my dad introduced it to my mom. Yeah. But it sounds very familiar. When did you start working in the industry? I hated high school. Yeah, I wanted to get out in the world. I wanted to go live and do and you know kind of move on from that phase of youth, I guess. Yeah. So. Uh, sparing some of the details my dad at this point i was like 18 my dad had an ericsson 32 okay that was similar to the catalina bought it rough fixed it up uh, we were kind of learning the ways of that boat uh, we went out sailing one day i forget if i was with him actually but the boat was under the gate and just in that ebb chop and long story short the mast was compressing the deck Oof. to a point where it was cracking on the headliner yeah so he was in Brickyard Cove Marina at the time, and Scott Eason was in that, his shop was in that marina. So he went over there, talked to Scott. Uh, Scott ended up doing the repairs and all that, but they got talking. I came up in conversation, and Scott said, well, I'd love to meet him. So my dad came to me with that, and we ended up getting lunch, and 
another fond memory. Uh, I just remember he, all he really cared about was to like vet me out for my passion for sailing. Uh huh. And it really came down to like, okay, you, you really want to do this and you love this and I'll, I'll take you in. You can, he was moving shops at the time. He said, you can start by, you know, tearing down the old shop and helping me move and we'll just see where it goes. How cool. Yeah. And that turned out to, you know, that was another kind of jumping off point for where I was trying to go with this interest. So what did you end up doing? I mean, you moved the shop for him, but <laughs> I assume you were doing an eventually other kinds of work, yeah. rigging. and Yeah, yeah. So that was honestly probably a week or two, and then it was into the, – the first thing was learning how to splice. Okay. So I um, – and that was kind of a bit of foreshadowing too because I really took to that. I really enjoyed it, and it kind of came naturally, I suppose. So I ended up – really moving into that area within the the company and i did a lot of the a large majority of the running rigging i would say in the the time i was there Uh, i'm gonna have to pick your brain because i was just trying to splice some stay set x and it was really a pain in my ass (laughs) the oftentimes the simplest lines are the hardest ones to splice yeah that double braid where the core Uh. and the cover share the load is real well, the stay set X is just so stiff, and yeah. it was just, yeah. It was I got a whole. I just redid right all here. my running rigging. Oh, I say that I redid all my running rigging two years ago now, and most of my Halley style bolins on the shackles because I just haven't gotten around to splicing it. <laughs> so I got. Uh, Very sacrilegious. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I was just. I keep putting it off because I'm like, oh, I can do that any time. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, well, I'm happy to help if you want to. I may take you up on that. I may take you up on that. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. So, um, and how long were you there? Uh, I want to say six plus years. Yeah. And yeah. did you have a boat of your own in that time? Uh, I did. I think probably midway through that time, uh, I actually bought the kind of derelict boat that was sitting right next to my dad's. Okay. Uh, which was an Ericsson 35, uh, I think like a earlier mid 70s. Uh, so I bought that. I had to like re- refinance a car loan and scrounge up all my pennies <laughs> and make that happen. And and that honestly ended up just being kind of a floating apartment yeah. for the duration of my ownership, but still a good experience. And I was even with the loan. I think I was paying five or six hundred bucks a month for rent in the bay area and my commute was about 500 feet it's <laughs> pretty good that worked out pretty well yeah 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 so how many boats have you owned before this one? Oh, uh, it's kind of hard to say because i my dad and i have i guess owned, owned boats together, together yeah, a bit yeah. and a lot of dinghies and that yeah uh, but as far as keel boats really just that one okay and this one yeah that one and this one um did you always know that at some point you wanted to have a bigger boat that you would put a lot of that would be a project project boat or you well, let me start over actually so you mentioned that you wanted to to go cruising did you always assume you would find a boat that you could either build out from a hull or make your own construct it and then then go i i'm not positive when i really caught that portion of the disease uh i mean i'm a dreamer so i 
like that picture of the mum 30 on the trailer that just evolved so short answer is yes um but i think the the project side of me has evolved a lot more in the last four or five years i'm 30 is that confidence where did that come from was that working with hank was that just projects over time working in carpentry i mean to take on a project like this you gotta you gotta be able to have the confidence to know yeah i can get it from this state to a state where i can take this boat across an ocean yeah i think the desire to have a sizable or you know that's a relative term but to have a keel boat and to be able to go extended cruising yeah i think that started pretty early yeah but i think the the project side and the wanting to take on a large project is is a lot more recent i think that like the confidence thing you're talking about i think that came with just starting to take on my own projects Yeah. yeah um and that's been a lot of like vans and campers and just starting to narrow down the interests and the skills and apply them to this that or the other and eventually end up up here i wonder how much so you and i were talking chatting before we started recording about youtube and watching other people who are actually doing projects like this um how much of it comes from seeing other people do this and being actually being able to relate to that yeah i feel like that there's probably some kind of tipping point aspect there I've, i've always had a lot of this in my mind um but i'm a huge fan of youtube i mean i I don't really watch tv i'll watch a movie or sports or youtube yeah and that's a huge inspiration it's just amazing yeah the resources that are there and there's anything and everything i mean i I rebuilt a subaru engine off following a guy (laughs) on youtube I've, i've just most of the things that i have had to learn on my own. I yeah. think I've done the majority of my learning online, but mostly YouTube. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you're able to tell so much more thorough of a, yeah, a story. Yeah, show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. But I remember my dad showing me Delos when they first started. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, this is like a documentary, but they're just like filming this on camcorders. Yeah. And then they started the buy me a beer thing and you could just kind of see it evolving. It's like all of a sudden they're this is a career. Yeah, and they've talked about how they never intended it to be that way. They right. just started filming cuz it was fun for them and Yeah. Yeah, it just blew up. And I was you know, at the time I was snowboarding and riding bikes with friends and Yeah. I always loved filming and editing and trying to put something together like that. But it's so, just been I mean, a slow evolution. It goes full circle here because now you're doing a refit and you're going to be able to show other people and give other people the confidence and show them how you're doing this step by step, ripping apart parts of your boat and then building it back up. Talk a little bit about that and <laughs> does that make it harder? I mean, filming while you're working? I mean, I enjoy it. So I. I'm definitely not looking for any sympathy, but it absolutely. I mean, it, it's a ton of, it's a ton of work. Yeah. You uh, got to set the camera up and then go work and then check the camera and then work again. And it's constant. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was telling you before it, it takes me two solid days minimum to put a video together. Yeah. And that's not even accounting for the 
time taken out of each hour of each day to work and film. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I, I love every bit and piece of it, but yeah, it is. Yeah. But you do lot. it for the reward. I mean, we're talking about this too. I mean, the benefits are, I mean, the podcast is much less intensive than video because I'm just dealing with audio, but, um, it does take time, but I love it. And there are intangible, but intangible benefits of meeting people, making connections. I'm just, yeah. you know, you walked up to me here in the yard and said, hey, I, I know your podcast. Yeah, yeah. And so now we can have this conversation, which yeah. is great. But, uh, yeah, it does. It is work. But I'm excited to watch more of your videos and, and follow the progress. Yeah, thank you. When you have a project this big, where do you start? When you started in July, I mean, people can go watch the video. How do you decide what to tackle first? What did you tackle first? The biggest issue with this boat is it's just been sitting. Mm -hmm. The decks and cabin top were not fiberglass. Mm. They were done with, it's kind of a poor man's fiberglass called Airball. I don't know what they used for glue, but it's far, far inferior to the resins we have today. And then all the deck hardware that was mounted and everything was just drill a hole, mount it. I found a lot of stuff that didn't even have sealant. So it's a wood house with some this air ball over it. So water would seep into the holes and rot the wood? Yep. Fiberglass hole, uh, very heavy hand laid. The hole at the tow rail is about a half inch thick. Wow. And everything from the water line down is a minimum of one inch thick. So pretty bomber. But then the deck and cabin top and all that is wood yeah with that water coming in over the years uh, a lot of rot here and there i had to figure out what do i want to do in this first phase and where i got to with that was i just need to make it watertight yeah so i need to rip everything on the deck and cabin top off i need to get all that old air ball off i need to repair the rot and i need to get it sealed back up so as far as like where to start I just kind of worked backwards from there. So the, the video you watched the first two weeks, yeah, that was just doing everything I could to strip it down. So pulling all the deck hardware off, ripping off all that air ball. I had two or three days of just pulling that glass and <laughs> scraping that old glue. It goes much quicker on the video. <laughs> the magic of editing. <laughs> you gotta yeah. keep, keep the eyeballs on the video. Yeah. I had a lot of work to do on the inside with this was all insulated with about an inch of foam and then little uh, thin ply panels. At one point, you're pulling out ply panels and then foam, and like a granola bar or something fell out. Was that <laughs> in the insulation? That was, it was up in the forepeak there. It was literally sitting up on one of the beam shelves or on the beam shelf. Uh, and I'm just <laughs> pulling panel. And that was a totally organic moment. I'm uh, just... <laughs> Oh, what's that? And that was really funny. Yeah. Just stashed away just in case. Yeah. There's a, a lot of, I found a lot of interesting things. Yeah. What are some of the uh, stranger things that you've found? In uh, that when I bought it, there were like six anchors. Wow. Um, and I've been told, I'll probably mess this up, but a lot of them were like some fishing style anchor that they use in Alaska. Okay. To, I'm not sure how they work, but. Yeah. I'd, I've taken multiple loads to the consignment shop at Blue Pelican. Blue Pelican yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it had a, a brand new monitor wind vane on it. Wow. Which the 
asking price for those is more than what I paid for the boat. So <laughs> I figured that, that was a score. Yeah. Um, functional sales. That's a bonus. That's always uh, and then just a lot of random tidbits here and there. I'm, I'm spacing on any specifics. But yeah. Uh, that's that's very cool. There's always kinds of random things. I remember that. Yeah. And my first boat, just going through and discovering everything from letters to gear to yeah. you know, what you learn about the previous owners. Yeah, I have the the original correspondence between the original owner and whoever designed the junk rig layout. Oh, wow. uh, so a lot of drawings and stuff yeah. like that, and then even you know brochures for the wind vane and that's very cool so that's kind of nice that's very cool so where do you go from here i know there's a lot to do but big picture what are you going to do to the boat so still in that phase one just looking yeah. to get it watertight, watertight. sealed up um and then i'm going to have some decent projects i need to pretty much completely rebuild that companion way mm. i'm thinking about moving it to center line okay and then i need to build a cockpit because yeah. the, the boat just had some benches on top of the deck that anyone who's done any ocean sailing would probably not approve of uh, so i need to build from scratch a more traditional sunken well okay. cockpit um are you talking more short midterm long term Long term, big picture, like if we if we zoom out, what, where, how do you think about it? So I want to. What's the end goal? The the intention. Um, I was telling you the other day how my projects tend to evolve and I yeah. can come and go and move on from them sometimes, but I don't plan on that with this. My intention is to build a a world cruising boat. I want to I want to go cruising. I wanna yeah. I want to travel the world, and I think there's no better way to do that than on a boat. Yeah. Um, taking your home around the world is pretty cool uh, and affordable and sustainable and all those things. So So you get her in shape. How long do you – I mean, obviously, these things have a life of their own, and you can't predict how long it's going to take, but are you giving yourself a certain amount of time? For the whole thing or yeah. just this phase? Yeah, for, for, for the whole thing. The whole thing, no. Um, we'll we'll see. see one step at a time. Yeah. yeah, and I I could see myself deciding. You know, phase two is going to be getting it sailing. Okay. And I can definitely see myself saying, "I want to keep this thing functional so I can enjoy it while continuing to work on it." So you know, when it comes to working on the interior and uh, a lot of the more finite, tweaky kind of stuff that could be in another country i, I yeah. don't know so you, so you get her watertight and then then you put her in the water and get her sailing is that the thought yeah so and um, then you start thinking about the interior and right building her out just recently i've been starting to look ahead to what does the end of this phase look like i've been going back and forth quite a bit the, the way i feel today <laughs> is it's day by day i know even with a smaller project it is sometimes it's hour by hour yeah. phone conversation by phone conversation but yeah. um i don't want to stop working on it and that's going to be tough to do here in northern california yeah so i'm starting to consider getting this phase done and then doing kind of a 
shortened version of phase two where I can get the engine in and running and reliable, get it in the water, start doing some sail testing, and then possibly end of fall, beginning of winter, get it down the coast to Ensenada, and then nice. pick him back up with work yeah, there. They can, yeah, you can live a lot more affordably down there. Yeah, there's a yard called Baja Naval. Yes. It's like I right across it. the border. And it's they they cater to a American customer base mostly, so it's not incredibly cheap, but it's a little more than I'm paying here, which is very reasonable. Mm-hmm. And their labor rates are incredibly low. Well, that's so. another thing you could get help. You could get which I don't. I I never enjoy paying somebody to do stuff for me, but I will see where it goes. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, the same way. My finances will have an impact on all these decisions so sure we'll see where things go so the dream is 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 traveling on the boat what ocean sailing have you done previously my poor math has me somewhere around or a little over ten thousand miles all right and the large majority of that's racing mostly on the west coast here hawaii mexico a little bit on the east coast um i did a, a key west to cuba race that was a wild experience were you racing mostly with the same people or were you just picking up on different crews how how did that work i would i'd stick around with teams and boats from time to time Mm -hmm. but i mean this was over the course of four or five six years yeah um after getting maybe two or three years into being in the rigging business yeah how did you get into the ocean racing from the rigging. So it, it all stemmed from working for Scott. Yeah. Um, and I I got to give him a lot of credit, too, for he really fostered a mindset in me of, like, innovation. And you were asking before about the confidence. And, I mean, he yeah. is a – he goes for things. And he does not really care if it's unique or what kind of pushback or, you know. He's very expensive, but he is an innovator. and. Yeah. Um, anyways, but so starting to work with him, obviously just kind of getting into the industry and then he started to kind of help me get on, you know, beer can races. And then it would be, a hear this thing on the weekend. They need a, they need someone. And, and then the, my first real opportunity, ironically, full circle was doing bow on his mom 30. <laughs> so it, that was one oh, of his awesome. eight ball boats that he had kind of he calls it isomized okay um so we did you know all the local stuff the midwinters a lot of the you know leukemia cub stuff like that yeah uh, and that was uh, i got do you know gary sotomori i right? don't know so he's a kind of a local legend he passed away a few years ago mm-hmm. um, out of nowhere that was pretty horrible but i learned i initially learned how to do bow with him and he's he was one of Scott's guys, so he's done a lot of things on a lot of different boats and kind of brought me along and really kind of passed his role off to me. He wow. moved back to the pit so he could kind of coach me into learning the bow. And it just went from there. I mean, I just started getting on different boats and doing different things and, you know, confidence growing. And uh, at some point that evolved into i would say i was like a very bottom of the totem pole professional sailor getting a daily rate but 
um, you know, not all my sailing was paid, so I'm always hesitant to call myself that. Um, but yeah, that just. What are some of the most memorable ocean racing moments you have out at sea? Oh, that's uh, tough to choose. Um, I would one of the highlights I would say was I I did a Hawaii race and a Mexico race on a boat called Swazik. Okay. It's a Swan Forty Seven. And on those two, ra- we did some other events too, but on those two races, um, Stu Benetine and Dave Rolf were with us. Are you familiar with them? I have to say, I'm pretty ignorant about the the racing world. Okay. So th- they're two Kiwi career professional sailors. Okay. Uh, Stu is a, a Volvo Ocean Race veteran. Wow. I mean, they're like guys I never thought I would even meet. Uh-huh. And, and here you are sailing I, with them. All of a sudden, I'm on a boat with them. And I give them a ton of credit. I, I learned so much from them just in bring the mic up a little. Just in mindset and approach and like disposition. They, I, I mean, I remember one of our first practices. I went to Dave, and it was kind of like, so you know, I, I usually do bow. I'm comfortable in other areas. You know, what do you, how do you want this to go? And he's like, oh, you, you're the bowman, mate. Like, I'll back you up. And that's just how it was. They just were like totally kind of in a Kiwi way. They kind of embrace you without any pomp and circumstance. And That's fabulous. Just I, I can't even put into words how much I was able to just siphon off of them with knowledge and experience. And So that's that's a big one. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, you know, our bay and our coast and the weather. And yeah. so a, lo- a lot of. We lost someone overboard on a, a spinnaker cup, and we're, you know, we're surfing waves at 15, 16 knots, and it's blowing 20 with a bit of swell, and that was hectic. Um, Can imagine. Had a tropical storm one time off. Wait, of you, did Hawaii. you get the person back? We did. Yeah. Okay, good. I just wanted to finish up that story. Yeah, and the key there, um, one guy on the boat just right away said, "I'm eyes on." Okay. He just kept pointing at her the whole time um we had a a bit of a scattered crew on that boat so we it's a bit of a struggle to get everything sorted get sails down engine on and get back over there but um i i absolutely think that that was we we easily could have lost her Mm. um but that was the saving grace was that that one person just eyes on yeah yeah and then we obviously just ducked into Santa Cruz kind of cut it short. She was really cold. I can't imagine. Well, I'm so glad that you stopped and started chatting with me here in the boatyard. Um, I'm thrilled to see your boat and to watch the progress. Um, yeah, I appreciate you uh, braving yeah. the circumstances <laughs> here. No, it's my pleasure. I don't care what state a boat's in. Just being aboard and checking them out. And I like being aboard a boat where you can see the bones it's um, it's refreshing. That was you really get definitely to a draw with this boat was yeah. that it's a very simple construction. Everything is very easily accessible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and easy to do with basic tools. Uh, a lot of the more modern boats, you need a lot of different stuff as far as composites and different tooling. Right. Yeah. So this is a good. A really good platform 
Um, well, to make DIY. your own, as I said to you before, I mean, there's something so exciting about having a blank slate, a bear hall. I mean, it's not a bear hall, but you are taking it well, it's down. Well, it's kind of a ground up rebuild. It's a ground up rebuild, yeah. and you get to do what you want to yeah, it. Yeah, the whole strip down, build it back up. And that's a part of the thing with the junk rig, too. Um, another thing that intrigues me about that is the simplicity. Yeah, I mean, I I don't plan on having any winches or jammers, wow. uh, you know, rope clutches yeah. on the boat. It'll be maybe some cam cleats or some modern stuff. But right. Just with the junk rig, there's so much less tension, less pressure, less. Yeah, that's very cool. So, and I'm, you know, I'm doing this whole deal on a budget. So a lot of those little things add up. They sure do. And with the whole, we were talking about an accelerated phase two. Yeah. I mean, I I want to pull the masts and get eyes on the steps and rebuild the partners and that stuff. But once those go go back in, I can rig sails up and and go. I just yeah. got to throw the lines on and have a couple cleats. Nice. You can't can't really say that about a lot of modern boats. No, it's not that easy. Yeah. Best of luck with it. Thank you. I may need it. <laughs> Well, that's it for this week's show. Again, you can follow Michael's progress on Akela at Road Soda, R-O-H-D-E, Soda, S-O-D-A. And that's on Instagram or YouTube. He's got some gorgeous videos there. I'm your host, Ben Shaw. Thanks for listening. You can reach me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or via email at OutTheGateSailing.com at gmail.com and if you want to see the latest on our cruising adventure that is at svdovka on instagram or dovka.com online until next time smooth sailing